You're listening to Comedy Central. Are they with them? We just passed the pipeline site and there was a big tugboat that they think was police or security. And it was following us, so we went past it right now. We haven't seen a boat this entire hour ride until we got to the pipeline side. Sorry, y'all. Good to be a little bumpy. Oh. oh! Shit. Well, we're taking on a lot of water. That sound you're hearing is my boat sinking at 4.30 in the morning in the bayou in Louisiana. Sure, there were crocodiles in the water. The activists I was with had repeatedly called me a coward. And I wasn't sure if we were even allowed to be there, but this is what environmentalism looks like these days. We followed pipeline protesters who got in a boat, drove that boat right to a pipeline, and in some cases strapped themselves to it to try to stop it from going anywhere. But it's a complicated story. Not everybody in the bayou agrees with these protesters. Even people who are protesting themselves don't necessarily like those tactics. We decided to go up real close, smell it, and it smells like the bottom of the bayou. Trust me on that. Today on the podcast, I talk a little bit about climate change and what we could actually potentially do about it. We have Bill Nye, some know him as the science guy. I know him as a guy who we had a great conversation with. But first, we go right back to the bayou, where I nearly drowned. If you've seen the show, Klepper, thank you. I appreciate it. This is a chance for you to hear a little bit more about our experiences, hear from some incredibly smart people who helped me make the show. They can articulate the things we went through, the things we tried to get, and the things we weren't able to put into 22 minutes of television. If you've never seen Klepper, it's a real shame, but that's okay. We're going to talk about why this story is important and what we got out of it. And maybe at the end of it, you'll say, hey, my ears are great, but my eyes are also great too. Why do they always get the shit end of the stick? Let me be that shit end of the stick. Grab a life vest. We're diving in. I'm in America's largest swamp, where an oil company is building a new 160-mile monster called the Bayou Bridge Pipeline. Projects like this threaten everything from crawdads to the fishing industry. And worse, it erodes the natural barrier protecting two million people from floods. I'm not much of a nature guy. I'm more of what veterinarians refer to as an indoor cat. But I can't hide from reality. We're destroying our environment and running out of time. I remember watching the end of the Dakota Access Pipeline protests and wondering where that movement would go. Apparently, here. This is the tail end of the Dakota Access Pipeline. So for all those people that started fighting up in North Dakota, uh, there are a handful of us that are still fighting down here in the South. That's right, the same company whose pipeline was protected by fire hosing protesters, Energy Transfer, is at it again. Their CEO, Kelsey Warren, is building another pipeline through one of the world's most fragile ecosystems. All right, I am joined with writer Chris Akimovic and AP Grace Leeson. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about the bayou. What is the story of Battle in the Bayou to you guys? The story of Battle in the Bayou is about people who are fighting against an unstoppable force. What kind of people are doing this? Who fights against inevitability? That's right. And also when you have no other resources and you just have to put your body on the line. That's right. um, how difficult it is to really organize a direct action like mm-hmm. that when you're just balls to the wall having to go at it every time. Just by the seat of your pants. See, to me, it's mostly about mosquitoes. Yeah. Let's talk about the players in this situation. Yeah. 
the unstoppable force, big oil. Oil and gas. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they run the state. They do. So the Dakota Access Pipeline mm -hmm. uh, was being built through Louisiana and chomping right through the Atchafalaya Basin. Right, and this is the yeah. tail end of the Dakota Access Pipeline. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, like, uh, all, all of the press that it was getting months earlier, they say no bad press is bad press, but perhaps that was bad press. <laughs> yeah. But now it's found its way all the way down to Louisiana, mm -hmm. and you have a group of people who are trying to push back against this. That's right. Called Louis Levy, mm -hmm. and they're a group of protesters who will go out, do direct actions uh, in front of the pipeline, attempt to distract the workers, attempt to literally just protest with signs and air hordes on boats in the middle of the bayou, and even going so far as to sometimes uh, chain themselves to the actual pipeline and risk arrest uh, in order to stop the inevitability of this pipeline. That's right. Yeah. Just every moment they can delay it is a little victory. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember how this, how we found this story? I do. So this was around when the report came about climate change, that we only have 12 years left. Oh, that little guy. Yeah. yeah. And we were talking about that in the office. And I sent through a pitch about radical environmentalism and people who were kind of putting their bodies on the line to stop it. And then Zach, the producer on this, walked by my office and he's like, hey, I know a guy. <laughs> I'm going to call this guy. And it was a lawyer for the Colorado River who he was going to do a story uh, on oppo that we never ended up doing on the opposition um, about trying to get the Colorado River personhood. And That's as, right. I remember that story. Yeah. yeah. And he said, hey, you should look into these guys in Louisiana, Louis Levy. They're led by indigenous women. And then we called the, the spokesman for uh, Louis Levy, and he started talking about how miserable it was there. He was like, it's gnarly down here, man. This place is worse than the tar pits. Mosquitoes <laughs> eat you alive, man. Like, I hate it down here, but I do it for the cause. And we're like, putting Jordan in that environment will be funny. Fish out of water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he started describing them as pipeline jumpers because you have, I mean, the group has a strong indigenous connection because people are protesting the pipeline as it moves throughout the country. So the term pipeline jumpers would just, you know, you'd be jumping from area to area of the pipeline to protest it. Right. But then we got there and they were no longer pipeline jumpers, right? They were pipeline squatters, maybe? Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I think that's what, honestly, yeah, the, the, the reality of what, what is what is true in a New York office trying to pitch a story and what <laughs> yes. is true out in the field are two drastically different things. Yes. Another thing that was interesting about their use of protest, they were also doing these staged plays there where they were yes, literally... That's how we sold it to our producer wanted something splashy. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, they had done this Crawfish the Musical at one point to delay... Um, progress and crawfish the musical was a, a guy in a in a homemade crawfish outfit doing different lyrics to the Dixie Chicks goodbye Earl song <laughs> <laughs> on the site and so we got the idea that oh well we don't know what it'll be like there but we can produce a huge crawfish the musical and we can get Lin Manuel you know you talk big you, <laughs> you go you, in you, thinking you. big <laughs> it's crawfish it's a crawfish. It's a hat? Mm-hmm. Oh, is, is this to, uh, to one of the actions that you're doing with these? We did a musical on the easement. We performed for the workers and did Crawfish the Musical. It was this lovely story of these two crawfish that had to kick a CEO's ass. <laughs> okay, a couple notes as a person from New York. 
It's a basic step you want to cheat out. Hit the back of the theater is what people are often going to say vocally. It looked like right there it's hard because the swamp has no back to it. Right. So, uh, but projection sounded nice. Choreography seemed uh, limited, but uh, there was energy behind it. Do you want to be in it? What kind of roles are we talking? The villain. The villain? Here's the deal. I would play the villain, but I'm going to bring a three-dimensional representation of that villain. So you're going to hate him, but then you're also going to understand where he's coming from. And uh, that never even made the cut. We're in New York expecting to go down to the bayou. We're we going to go to Patagonia before <laughs> we're all panicking at REI like, "Oh my god, do I need waiters?" <laughs> it is I I went to REI and was like, "I need tactical pants." <laughs> I bought I bought a really fancy Filson hat that looked rugged but was uh, pricey that I really tried to sell as this is the cool new me. Yes, yeah. You also like, kept lying to yourself. You're like, "Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's fall, so it'll be in like the 50s, 60s. I'm like, Jordan. It's going to be like hot, sticky, 80s, 90s. It's going to be awful. Yeah, I'm like, still I'm still be... shaking off the uh, <laughs> the pampered nature of past shoots. Even those weren't that pampered, but it was like, oh, this will be fun. Literally, you had bean boots. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> they're great boots. They're great boots. I think they're still in the bayou. <laughs> so we go there thinking like, I bet we'll produce a funny play there that will highlight the uh, cause that they have, and we'll right. get a glimpse at what modern American activism looks like. I think we did get that glimpse. What we did find is that camp had a lot of people. Some people were following the pipeline. Some people were other, I think, would probably define themselves more as environmentalists who right. had maybe bounced around from causes. Some people were from the local area who were protesting there. Like the campsite in and of itself probably had at times up to 40 plus people. So we show up and we're I mean, literally, we have to meet Sharif Oitlin, who is in charge of Louis Levy. We meet her at an undisclosed location because they can't tell us where their site is because they're afraid of people from the pipeline <laughs> coming down and finding them and destroying their camp. Hello. Sharif Jordan. I'm Sharif. Sharif, nice to meet nice you. Nice to meet you, too. We're going to go to the Indian Bayou camp. Okay, great. Yeah. So why the cloak and dagger situation here? Oh, we do have to be a little careful because we've made a few enemies. Uh, we protect our people a lot, so we don't just let anybody come in, you know? So we have to pass the vetting process before then going officially in? Yeah, pretty much. But it's also the only location in Rain, Louisiana. Yeah. So <laughs> undisclosed as much as you want, Jordan. Yeah, <laughs> undisclosed. Once you, once you get a, a town of 200, it's like, oh, yeah, well, that's where you're meeting. Sure. It's right in the middle. <laughs> then we, we drive to the campsite, and they are camping. It is hot. There's mosquitoes. There's tents everywhere. It's a unique experience out there. I think, like, I don't know how I want my activism. There was a definite community there, and, and they cared about the cause. But it's also a lifestyle that a lot of people were, I, I feel like some people were drawn more to the lifestyle of activism, perhaps, mm -hmm. than the cause. And the community wanna, of it. And the community yeah. there, like, I, I get what that is, I think. And in talking to some people, they're like, oh, this is, you you are you are an environmentalist by, uh, by trade, if you will. And there were some people who felt like, oh, you are looking for a community and able to express that and have your voice heard here as well. Which, as we bounced around to a couple different activism communities, I think that is a legitimate part of much of right. it. Like, not that people are not true believers, but there are some people who are joiners looking for community who then find purpose to their belief in some of the causes that they find. And I think there was a little bit of a, a mix of that uh, at the at the campsite. And again, that just speaks to resources, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. A lot of the tools that would make someone be drawn to like being a leader of an activist movement as opposed to someone looking for community is truly education about the history of the movement and like being able to have that leadership position because you have the resources to be like a good activist, mm -hmm. I would say. And like when you're 
to not this isn't the case for all of them but when you're ending up in a camp covered in mosquitoes like that's not going to be like I guess your first choice <laughs> right <laughs> so it's like that's the resources that's what's important to you mm-hmm. and like that's where you end up fighting how do you identify uh, I'm Cindy Spoon mm-hmm. so classic She's been here for 10 months, which is impressive because I've been here 10 minutes and I'm already sunburned. So what drew you here? So I live in a town that has a ton of fracking. There was fracking at my college campus. There was fracking in our parks. There's fracking by our hospitals. There's fracking everywhere. And um, in 2014, we passed a ballot initiative by popular vote to ban fracking within our city limits. And about six months later, the state of Texas passed a new state law that banned fracking bans. So that's one of several experiences I've had where I've like been a part of organizing in community where we've done everything legally, we've done everything right, we've tried it all, we've done it all by the book, and then... The book changes. I would say they are rightfully, and at times even aggressively, uh, unwelcome. <laughs> uh, like, Cherie was very welcoming and wanting us there, but they were very skeptical of what we were going to do and why we were there. And we were interlopers, and rightfully so, from a comedy network, and they're doing serious things and putting their bodies on the line. And so it was tense. I think a lot of interactions, people didn't want to be on television. Yeah. Can I go here? Is this space taken? Oh, no. No? Yeah, I don't want to be. You don't want to be on the camera? Okay, it's like high school all over again. Some people thought, like, hey, we do this six months of the year trying to... Um, make the earth a better place and you do a fucking comedy show about it, congratulations, uh, don't talk to me. Nobody gro- was impressed by Jordan Clapper. Nobody, nobody no. had seen my YouTube videos. <laughs> so uh, uh, there was a lot of that tension that played out even when we had a meeting where we sat down to talk about what was going to happen at the camp that day and potentially the next day going out into the bayou. Okay, family, wanted to get together for a little action planning meeting. As y'all know, it's a swamp action, which means that we only have so much room in the boats. Just be mindful, like I said before, thousands of times. Everybody's role is super important. Doesn't matter if you're doing the dishes or if you're out there on the swamp. And everybody takes turns and moves around in different places. So um, we just appreciate everybody showing up. For safety, do you guys do like a a buddy system or anything like that? We take care of each other for sure. So we're keeping track of everything, you know. So like when you get arrested tomorrow, <laughs> when you get arrested tomorrow, there would be people there when you get out. If we're spitballing here, maybe I'm the kind of guy who like stays behind. So if other people get arrested, you call me. I help with the organization. I get a good Wi-Fi signal. We got a word for those people. Yeah. Cowards. <laughs> cowards. Cowards. <laughs> Don't be a coward, dude. Don't be a coward. Okay. Not everybody's supposed to get arrested. But you're here for a reason. It's not just to do some silly TV show. I'm just warning you, you see how much I'm even struggling with the sun right now. So. <laughs> All right, I'm sorry. I have to put your cameras away for a minute until we get the roll set. We end up staying in the bayou that night. Creative word choice there, yeah. Jordan. <laughs> I got to say, I mean, it's... Uh, I hate... I hate the goddamn nature. I hate it. I hate it. I have such respect for people who put their bodies on the line who care about planet Earth, and as somebody who is liberal and progressive, I want the planet to be around for a long time. I just don't like the out, the outside part of the planet. <laughs> the things that are not inside walls, those are ones I'm very uncomfortable with. It was also the transition from day to night that was awful. So, like, during the day, there really aren't that many mosquitoes out yet. And, like, as the sun sets, just the, the percentage of mosquitoes just escalates entirely. There was one point where we're all hiding in the van, but people, even we left the doors open 
to the van just to get in and out. And we're just trying to slap mosquitoes and kill them. And the entire roof of the rental car is just covered in like 200 dead mosquitoes. (laughs) And we're all just like, oh, can we sleep in here? (laughs) I don't want to get out. (laughs) And the activists are partying all night, like blasting music. Dogs are barking. (laughs) We're all just sitting in our tents like, why? So we end up sleeping for about two hours. And this was very DIY. I think it was... uh, Plans kept changing, and some of that was because there was there was dangerous elements ahead. Some of it was because people were still figuring stuff out and assigning who does what. We found ourselves in the morning. I went out way early. We weren't supposed to be on the boat with the um, activists. The plan was to get into a boat, drive literally an hour on the bayou in the middle of the night to get to the um, construction site so people can start protesting at the construction site before people arrive. But everything shifted at 2 a.m., and suddenly myself, the producer, and one camera guy are on the protesters' boat as opposed to the other boat we were supposed to be on coming hours later. And then we find ourselves going pitch black. People are forgetting to bring flashlights, which is a bad idea when you're on a <laughs> boat in the middle of the bayou and you don't have a flashlight. And we literally get in the bayou, it's, <laughs> you can't see anything. And they're like, oh, did your camera guy bring a, a flashlight? Yeah, let's put that on the front. And that's it. And okay, Gene Michael Bradley had a light that could work underwater that he's like still patenting. And that lit the entire that lit everything yes. for you guys. Yeah, it was well, the fact that Gene truly travels. <laughs> he's just a MacGyver. He always it. has it. Like, uh, he, it was like a special clamp that he has so that that light could work. Yeah, if you, if this was a story about activism. It was also a story about how impressive our crew was. When you shine your light out there and you see those amber-looking eyes, those are alligators. All right, we are in the swamp right now on our way to the Bayou Bridge Pipeline. You don't realize it's been so long since you've been on a boat until you get on a boat. And then you realize it's been a while since you've been on a boat. And I wish I spent a little time Googling boat safety before I got out here. Long story short, our boat (laughs) sinks in the bayou because we get chased by what we think is a security boat an hour deep into the bayou by the uh, site of the pipeline. And we we are sinking in the water grabbing $15,000 worth of equipment, throwing it on shore as fast as we can. Uh, I'm swimming out in the middle of the, the bayou. Because <laughs> you got hit by brush, right? Like yeah, you so got swept off What the basically boat. happens is like we pass by, there's a boat, there's a little bit of a panic, there's a turn into a wake. We just passed the pipeline site and there was a big tugboat that they think was police or security. And it was following us, so we went past it right now, and people were deciding whether or not to continue to drive by or to circle around again. We haven't seen a boat this entire hour ride until we got to the pipeline side. It's hard to tell if the wake was created on purpose or not. It's hard to tell if it was just bad driving. But we hit a wake, and we start taking on a ton of water. And within 20 seconds, you realize we're going to sink. Oh. So they hightail it as fast as they can to the shoreline, at which point, like, we're going down, we're not going to make the shoreline. So they just, as fast as they can, taking on water, as we are about 10 feet away from the shore, the overhang of trees smack me. I 
fall into the water with um, just a floating equipment that is all there. Um, everybody else goes down. Yeah. I swim out to try to grab these boxes, pretending like there aren't crocs in the water. And then <laughs> as our camera guy throws a camera on shore, climbs up out, I swim back up. By the time I get back to shore, he's already got his one camera. Yeah. There's like two cameras that are already underwater and gone, never to be seen again. And then we switch into, all right, how do we get the fuck out of the bayou? So he jumps off the front of the boat on shore with the camera still rolling, reaches in the water, grabs the anchor of the boat, throws it over a tree, because at this, and that stops the boat from going completely submerged. Mm-hmm. Like, you would have no boat, no footage, like, no anything the hero of a shoot. Zach swears he levitated. Yeah. This is why you hire a crew who's worked predominantly on vice shoots. Because they know how to shoot it. We end up spending six hours waiting for another boat to rescue, which is where, Grace, you came to rescue us. And yeah, I had a great morning. You had a great morning. <laughs> no the, cell service, didn't know what the fuck was going on. And even that was drama because the boat that came to rescue us was okay taking media back, but was not okay taking protesters right. back because they are not liked in that region. So yeah. that became a debacle unto itself. And they get a lot of business from oil and gas. Exactly. So they don't want to alienate. The boat captain was honestly the most upset that when he was waving at other boats, they weren't waving back at him because they realized like, oh, they could be with those people that are like hiding in the woods just <laughs> off site. Um, and he was destroyed by it. Like just like oh. a truly an 80 year old sweet Bayou man born and raised that was just like, this is the biggest gator I've ever caught. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, I'm about to ruin your day, young man. <laughs> That's where we had to immediately shift what is this story about, yes. right? And it, it sent us into town to talk to locals about how they felt about the pipeline. And I think it is a more complicated story. Like as an environmentalist, my my heart is w- with the people who are putting their bodies uh uh, on the line to try to stop this. But you also see people in town who are affected by the the uh, oil and gas industry. It's been a part of their family. It's part of their livelihood. You can't separate it from how much money it brings in and how people depend on that. And then because we spent so much time having essentially a failed protest, as we started to take a step back and say, we're not doing Crawfish the Musical, <laughs> uh, what we have is a complicated story about whose fight is this? Right. Is it the locals or is this a global issue that just happens to be localized right now? So we found a local bar that we could go to happy hour and just see if we would stumble on some people. And I remember rolling on up. It was a fun little bar. It probably could fit 30, 40 people. And an hour later, they were all in there. I think it was dollar drinks till eight or nine. Yeah, I wasn't there. What was the most interesting thing you saw or person you met there? Well, I said the, the dollar drinks till eight Oh, o'clock. that's the most interesting part of it? Oh my God, <laughs> those kinds of deals. How do you run a business? <laughs> I think what was great about that in all seriousness is well, one, it's comical. We wanted to talk to people in the community, but it was really hard to straight up and call a community. So we went to a bar, kind of on a lark, like, let's go, let's film, and let's see. And everybody in that bar had a connection to the industry. Yeah. Every single person. Uh, so immediately, you felt the community there. I've been in oil field almost all my life. I've worked offshore. I've worked international. It's needed. Good for the country. I've been all field 43 years. We all got a handle. Crude oil, you need everything. Crude oil for the toothbrush, you brush your teeth with, to everything. I don't brush my teeth with oil. Turns out the beard ponytail is right. Petroleum is in everything, including your goddamn toothpaste. I googled it. Down here, water is life, but oil is livelihood. And you can't blame the locals for wanting to work. Should we wean ourselves off? Are you okay with a wean? Maybe not a full stop, but a nice little wean? I don't see it anytime soon. We still need the energy. We still need the earth. 
I can't say that they were anti the pipeline protesters from a, a visceral place. It felt like they were they were anti people getting in the way of industry without a full understanding of what it means to the community and a lot of their connections to it harken back to how it affects their family. But even outside of the selfish idea that it's like my money's going away, it's more like this is part of the industry. There was no bad guy mm-hmm. as far as the bad guy was ETP and Kelsey Warren and the people who are just ripping through making money with no regard mm-hmm. for the people. Mm-hmm. Kelsey Warren at some point said a monkey could make money in this business right now. And then you're going and seeing the people really not benefiting from it. It's this guy in a different state, the big fat red face, just <laughs> <laughs> rolling in the rolling in the dough. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the people in the day to day, they they are just there to They're do just their pragmatic job. about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's a misunderstanding that like you take, oh, we should just get rid of oil altogether. And I think like what we've talked about is. It is in everything. It will be here to some degree. I think they would jump on board, at least a lot of them, any kind of positive way in which to help other communities that are affected, like Cancer Alley at St. James, or um, ways in which to make it more equitable for people. I think probably the most powerful place we visited was St. James Parish, which is unfortunately known as Cancer Alley, because of the proliferation of the oil and gas industry in that area. It has caused a lot of terrible medical conditions, and people are suffering, and they feel like their voices aren't being heard, and there's conversations about small changes. When we were down there, the discussion was about getting an emergency evacuation route because so much industry was coming in, it was blocking off the one route out of town. And if there was a fire, people couldn't get out. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the main issue is they, like, the refineries will buy up areas of the town, like the post office, for example. So it's, um, you just get this one road and that one road does get an out of town. And uh, it's just that all the ancillary roads are now, have refineries on top of Mm -hmm, them. mm -hmm. So if, it were to flood, it would just be anyone at this point behind the flood on the two-lane road in Louisiana yeah. where things flood yeah. historically. It, it tends to happen. Yeah. And then we, we met uh, Sharon, who was a resident, long-time resident there in St. James, and she was there with Ann Rolfus, and Ann was helping test some of the air quality. I think they were talking about, like, again, voices not being heard. Feels like we're kind of like Ghostbusters here. That's right. Yes. 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 You want to be Vankman? We, we want, we want the off. new version with the women as the Ghostbusters. Come on yes. now. So a box office flop, yeah, yeah, but if you want to do it, yeah, I understand it. I support All right. it. All right. I'll be All right. Kate McKinnon. So, so what's happening right now is that air is being sucked actually out of the bucket mm-hmm. so that when this opens, the air will come in that bag. come in this bag. Mm-hmm. The problem isn't that... They don't know that it's poisonous. This is important to help people get the information, and then they're armed with something to go to the industry with. People are living in what we call a toxic gumbo of a lot of different chemicals. Because the people who are making decisions on on a government level are listening to the voices of the people who own these companies, not the people who are maybe affected by these companies. What they were really in search of was hard data to try Mm -hmm. to prove some of these claims. And in a a medical situation, it's very hard to prove that because of that refinery right next door, the air quality is down. And so they're trying to arm themselves with just information that they can then take to somebody to get attention. I mean, you saw it in that town. That town is is all oil refineries. And that's what even Sharon had, you know, a lot of people from the outside are like, well, then just move, just move. And many people don't have the opportunity to do that. Sharon Sharon lived in that house. I believe that was also her parents' house, but she had such connections to pictures in her house. Her father had a big role at the school, I recall, and like that that town is their identity and mm-hmm. it has been her family's identity. And so you see it being changed and the air becoming literally toxic. And it's an, it is, it's an opportunity to look at 
people who are being harmed by this now as opposed to 12, down, 12 years down the road or there's a bunch of stuff about the Atchafalaya Basin and the mm-hmm. coastline vanishing. But this was now an urgent and people are dying and getting squeezed out. And we thought that that would be an important part to talk about. Yeah. That it's not hypothetical. It's concrete. Here's the face of this. Yes. If you might not care about dying egrets. Right. Or you might have only found out about egrets when you went down there and heard somebody <laughs> reference that. That's right. <laughs> I mean, you got a headache just driving into that town. It was one of the reasons we felt really good about this story. We had found the St. James Parish and Cancer Alley aspect. We had Dean, the basin keeper, who was just in love with the ecosystem and just wanted the oil and gas people to clean it up. So we knew we had... It wasn't just oil gas protesters. It was this whole community that was affected by this. And essentially, Dean is somebody who has lived in the basin for years and years, who travels around, knows it like the back of his hand, and spends his time looking for ways in which the the pipeline companies have of. Uh, uh, of messed up the bayou right. um, and any kind of violations, he's able to go through the system and work with the system to get small changes and doesn't like that the the pipeline protesters take more aggressive action. He feels like it muddies the water, if you will, for people who are getting in trouble. Um, and then the laws change to stop those people and they affect people who are doing small incremental change. When you come through here, what's it feel like to see all of this? Yeah, it is it's heartbreaking. I mean, my living hunting and fishing in the swamps for full-time 16 years. I've been here for over 30 years. And to see this kind of destruction, this is completely unnecessary. And it is illegal. They're like bad boys who didn't clean up after themselves after dinner. It's a bunch of kids who shouldn't be getting dessert. Exactly. The main takeaway of the episode yeah. is like whose responsibility and who is truly allowed to like be active in these movements. Because like with Dean, he doesn't truly care for the protesters, I would say, because there's like a tension between how you go about doing direct action and he fears that some kinds of direct actions alienate the local populations that would, you need to be on the front lines because it is the local population that's directly affected first. Like we're all on a sinking ship on this 12 year timeline with the world, but if you don't have the local populations harnessed to like take care of, like, like then you just allow local government to pass ordinances against the direct action and make it harder for people like Dean to do his job of just making sure that the pipelines are in compliance and cleaning up spoil banks and just not completely destroying the swamp that he lives in. Dean was a real proponent of this is for the local population to fight. And if the locals decide they want to do direct action, sure, I'll stand next to my brothers and sisters there. And then you see Sharif Whitelin, who is the head of Louis Levee, saying that everybody owns injustice and it doesn't just belong to one group of people, it belongs to all of us, so it's on all of and Both very compelling arguments. And then you have Cancer Alley and Sharon saying, we don't have anybody fighting for us, and maybe it's worth just standing up and fighting for what you believe in. And then you have the oil and gas guys being like, oil and gas gave me everything I have. Mm-hmm. And I think there is no perfect protest, and what we saw was like, we, were, we went to a protest, we sank, we under strange conditions with people who are trying to do something to stop something that felt inevitable. And there isn't a clear path <laughs> to right. to win, but it doesn't mean that that boat ride and that fight isn't important and doesn't mean that it can't be effective. It's just, I don't, I don't think we'd want to walk away prescribing one way to do it. I just don't know what we're, we're going to do and what's going to happen to us because it literally is in our toothpaste. And having to change a culture, and ha- I, I just don't know how we're going to do it. Mm-hmm. I, I really don't. And I 
what a terrible takeaway to feel, <laughs> to feel sort of hopeless about. But then, you know, you do see the people who are who are going in and 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 taking a stand, and you see the Sunrise Movement, which is a, kids who are essentially saying, you know, stop messing this up for us. Mm-hmm. And I think putting a more human face on it. And that movement building up into something that's more than these little pockets and these isolated stories is what we need. Like, it, I, I don't think it's ever going to be something happening here, something happening there. What we need is that to all become connected, which means that those little things happening are important. But from where I'm sitting in New York, I don't, I, I feel a little bit uh, like a schmo. I mean, I think that's it, right? I yeah. Think activism is hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, if activism were easy, they'd call it philanthropy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, Grace. Well, let me ask you, yeah. Grace, you were down there. You yeah. see Dean's path, and you also see the path of Louis Levy. Yeah. And you also see the people in town who are just going to work day in and day out trying to get by. Do you empathize more with any of those those paths and or people, or do you see one that if you were to, to join up, uh, one you'd... you'd You'd pay your dues? Um, I think I would stick with the media, go down, exploit them for three days, and, like, leave. <laughs> that's, that's what I decided. It was a really great path for us. <laughs> um, I think I still empathize both with Dean and with Louis Levy. I think um, it's difficult for me to choose one or the other just based on... I just find them both to be so necessary. I think ideally you would have Dean and Louis Levy working in tandem, which is why like anytime you do have the opportunity to have more communication within what's always going to be like a multifaceted network uh, of people working against like an unstoppable force. Um, But activism, again, is not anyone's full-time job unless it's philanthropy. Like you're not getting paid to do it. So... Just think about how tired you are at the end of a day to then do another full-time job of organizing a group of people that this is not their full-time job. Like that, like that kind of leadership is so special and so rare. And I think um, if anything, like I would always be kind of like moving towards like an Ella Baker type activism, which is figuring out how to empower local populations um, and having local leadership within those populations so that your network stands strong forever. I feel like I hear you say that, and the thing that I immediately think is, is there a way to take the things you said and put a filter on it so it sounds like I was the one who said that? I think so. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if my pompadour is quite right, <laughs> but I did want to be your stunt double many times. I am here with Bill Nye, to some the science guy. To me, just Bill. Sure. Yes. <laughs> Bill. Bill, you have a you have a brand new podcast out, Science Rules. Yes, turn it up loud everybody. Make it loud. You now to be clear, this is my podcast here. So the tables have turned. Not literally. People can't see that at home. Actually, they could see it at home because we do have four cameras here. Yeah, it's just when you're driving, you want four cameras. You need four cameras. How many cameras do you have on your podcast? We don't have any. Do you feel is that a flaw? No, I feel it's kind of a strength. Radio is the most uh, visual medium. <laughs> Again, you're, 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 you're airtight with your facts, Bill, always. Uh, thank you for coming facts. out. Facts. <laughs> Bill, do you consider yourself an activist? Uh, yeah, but I think anybody who has uh, scientifically literate becomes an environmentalist. 
And I guess that makes you an activist. How but so? I don't chain myself to bulldozers and stuff like that. Why not? Uh, it seems time-consuming, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm involved in other aspects of the the activism <laughs> matrix. <laughs> On this show, we talk to a lot of people who consider themselves activists, who go out, they see something wrong with the world, they want to interact with it and change it in some way. Well, I want to change the world, yeah. Does yes. that make me an activist? I don't know. I guess it, it, what is your definition of activist? Perhaps somebody who takes action to change the world. So okay. yeah, you, you do it without chaining yourself to... But I do other stuff. Well, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I do other things. I don't want to make you feel defensive, but uh, what do you do, Bill? Uh, I go on to TV and uh, talk about climate change. Mm-hmm. What is the most effective way to enact change in climate? Vote. Vote. Here's what I think happened. You went down to Louisiana, right? I did. And you met people who, at best, were ambivalent about the activism. I met, I met the whole panoply of people down in Louisiana. The panoply. Is that, I don't know if I use that correctly. You I, might have. I was going to say myriad, but I always get confused with myriad if it's a myriad or the myriad. So I said panoply, and I'm sticking with it. You met a different people. I met different people different in Louisiana. Pe- people with different points of view. That's what I met in Louisiana. Uh, I met... People who would consider themselves activists, who do lock themselves to pipelines mm-hmm. to try to stop it from taking place. I met activists, people who go by the rules, who go out into the bayou, um, they take notes, they file complaints through the local governments to try mm-hmm. to enact change. And then I met people who were like, these people should just get out of here because they don't understand how the economy works down mm-hmm. here. And there was sort of an inherent fight between all three mm-hmm. groups. Overall, most people wanted change, wanted the betterment of that area. I can't say anybody figured out exactly the best way to get that. Well, here's the thing. People say to me, Bill, Nye, what can I do? What can I do about climate change? What can an individual do? And we all want to feel empowered somehow. We all want to do something. But as I say all the time, climate change isn't a case of just recycling water bottles or driving a hybrid car. We need big changes. We need major changes. The word sweeping comes to mind. But uh, for that, it's going to take voting and putting people in government who are uh, willing to address the problem, uh, the problem being climate change. So as I say, there's three things we want for everybody in the world. Clean water, renewably produced electricity that's reliable, and access to the Internet for everybody in the world. Uh, and to do that, it's going to take st- not burning fossil fuels to make electricity, but getting it some other way. When we talk about energy, we're talking about electricity. Electricity is magical. You can have a podcast, fancy microphones, <laughs> and four, four cameras. <laughs> Only the best. Or you can make toast mm-hmm. with electricity. It's amazing. I it's, wouldn't put those on an equal plane. You know, there's a lot of people who are working here on what they would consider as more productive than toast. Okay, I'm open-minded, <laughs> but I'll, I'll bet you there's a lot more toast s- slices cooked than there are podcast casts. Actually, I don't even know. Have yeah, you, yeah. There, there, for every improviser, there's 17 podcasts. <laughs> all, so. Right, so, all right, so that aside, this is going to take huge changes, and it's going to just t- technically, from an engineering standpoint, we're going to have to stop having our electricity production concentrated as... as um, strongly as it is now, and have it distributed. Solar panels on top of every Walmart 
And then we need an electrical grid that can move electricity around the way we move mobile phones around, mobile phone calls around, cell phones. And so this is doable, uh, but it's, it's going to require investment. Investment? What, do you want people to pay taxes? Yes. <laughs> yes. So my parents were both veterans of World War II. I talk about this all the time. And here's another example of when I'm talking about it. And they had a global problem. They got her done in five years at great sacrifice. And people paid taxes. And they made tanks and airplanes. And people went to war and died uh, for the betterment of humankind. I'm not saying we have to go to war and die over climate change, but we have to invest. This is not extraordinary. And by the way, we are in the U.S. conducting this in U.S.-accented English. <laughs> the U.S. is the world's third most populous country. China, India, which will probably reverse into India, China. And then the United States, there's a third of a billion people. So why should we have a libertarian or small government? What are you talking about? There's 300 plus million people that are all trying to drive and burn gasoline and whatever else they're doing. <laughs> well, you, you bring up World War II. What's different between now and World War II is it felt like, at least the, the stories I hear, you have the bad guy Nazis, which was easy for Americans to come together. Well, everybody, and, and yeah. Everybody can come together. Yes. If for some reason we feel so fractured right now that the idea of the, uh, the end of life on the horizon isn't enough to pull us all together. Well, the trouble is it's slow motion. We didn't have a Pearl Harbor. Mm -hmm. We don't have a 9-11. Uh, a and so uh, the climate change is a much more subtle and s slow-moving problem, but the consequences are actually, I think you can reckon them to be much larger because mm -hmm. it will affect 7.5 billion people, not a few hundred, mil a few hundred million. Well, so and you're also, you're, you are often described as a communicator. I, I like yes. to put you on par with, like, the great communicator, like Barack Obama. Oh, yeah, ways. Bill Nye, Barack Obama, sure, six of one. Yeah, six. And the same people <laughs> hate us both. <laughs> so if we need a Pearl Harbor to draw people's attention to this global crisis, as somebody who is attempting to communicate this to people, uh, attempting to get people's attention, I, uh, I talk to a lot of other folks in the entertainment industry and in many different industries who are trying to wave the, wave the flag, uh, sound the alarm, get people the to pay attention. The climate change flag. The climate change flag. Or exactly. if there were one. Yes. The recyclable, the renewable. Recycle's good. Yep. Yeah. Uh huh. Like, how how do you how do you send up that flag? Well, how here's here's what we're pointing out right now. Suppose you had Hurricane Michael, Hurricane. Um, we had Irene. Irene, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you talk to anybody from New Orleans. Kat Katrina is still this thing. Okay. Suppose we had all these storms and we had no explanation for it. Suppose we had all these droughts in California. Then these heavy rains causing these flooding, mudslides. Suppose we had a blizzard in the Midwest in late April, and we didn't know why it was happening. That would be really troubling, but we do know why it's happening. There's more heat energy in the atmosphere, so the atmosphere is more turbulent, and you get bigger storms, more frequent and stronger storms. You talk a lot about uh, curiosity, uh, how important that is yes. for, uh, for us I was us wondering human. about that. <laughs> I'm very curious about your interest in curiosity. But do we have a, a death of curiosity right now? We Are have a weird anti-science movement, and it's, it's enabled by, uh, first of all, it really, just to point fingers, it started with the fossil fuel industry, where they were very successful in introducing the idea that scientific uncertainty about climate change or the role of carbon dioxide and methane 
was the scientific uncertainty about the exact um, effects, plus or minus 2%, was the same as plus or minus 100%, plus or minus doubt about everything. And that's just absolutely wrong. And then the internet, for better or for worse, has enabled everybody to sound about the same. And people, we all look for easy answers. So denying it is much easier than getting to work on it. Mm -hmm. Especially since I keep saying, I mean, recycling bottles is good. That's good. Driving less or more efficiently is good. But we need big thing, big. Huge wind turbines. <laughs> it's like a monster truck rally. Well, man. yeah, well, much bigger than that. and Larger than a monster and truck why rally? Not have, and so if I may, I'm not changing the subject, if I may whine and complain, NASCAR celebrates this 80-year-old technology. What do you do? What? I mean, horse racing's cool, <laughs> I guess, but you don't take a horse to work anymore. Very, very few people take a horse to work anymore. So... Uh, you know, my, then more about me. My grandfather <laughs> was in World War I on a horse. He rode a horse at night and put chlorine in the lister bags in the canteens and uh, to prevent dysentery or do his best to prevent dysentery. But 25 years later, during people fighting World War II, they weren't riding horses. The transportation system was revolutionized in a couple decades. We can do this, people. Electric cars don't know where the electrons come from. Now, do you, as somebody who... As, no, if, whether, if they're made, if the electrons, if the electricity is produced renewably, the cars are of great benefit. If their electrons are produced by burning fossil fuel, the benefit is smaller, but it's nevertheless a little benefit because you're not spreading the pollution out everywhere. There, there is a history of us evolving and to getting to a better place where we can adapt to the times. But as you just said, the... What we have right now is the internet. We have the ability for all voices to be elevated. Are you an optimist when you look at something like that oh, yeah. as an enabler so for change? You have free. You have freedom of speech. We have freedom of speech, but you cannot yell fire in a crowded theater. There's some rules. So the internet's going to get regulated, I think, soon enough. You just can't publish any crazy thing loudly to everybody. I th and it sounds, well, that's so... I'm sorry, people. That's just what's coming because... We had all this trouble without regulation, you know. And so, you know, if you're a broadcaster uh, on conventional television or publishing a newspaper, you can't print just anything. We have libel laws, you know, we have slander. So we'll do the same thing with the Internet. Slowly, ever so slowly, there'll be trusted sources. And the dark web will continue to web its darkness. But we can fix this. But the sooner the better. Yeah, what, what's, what's our timeline here? Well, when you talk about climate change, the IPCC, the Intergovernment Panel on Climate Change, says, you know, 12 years. Okay. But everybody, the Earth's going to be here no matter what we do. So what we, we want to do is preserve the Earth for us, for humans. And I, the other strange thing, these people have so much trouble understanding. It's not that the Earth used to have more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere in the ancient dinosaur days. It's the speed at which we're adding carbon dioxide. This is not rocket surgery, people. Look at the graph. We have, we have gone from, 200, uh, from 280 parts per million to over 400 parts per million in just two centuries rather than two millennia or 10 millennia. We're doing it in 10 years for crying out loud. Let's go, people. Let's get to work. <laughs> so to make it about me. Good. My experience in seeing these people who are 
camping out who feels this is such a dire situation that they want to go and lock themselves mm-hmm. to a pipeline. What do, you, what do you say to people like that? Do you see that as effective protest? Uh, is, that, is that an inspiring move or is that wasted energy? Well, does it prevent the pipeline? No. Yeah. I, I think it creates noise. I think it delays potentially the inevitable. Yes. So maybe that's good. So that's so the there is potential the energy from in there. Both ends, yeah. <laughs> but the most effective thing would just be to have the climate change deniers age out, as the saying goes. Very few climate change deniers are young. Uh, you know. Not the cool thing. Well, you guys grew up with facts. When the old people are no longer voting or no longer running the government, everything's going to change. But will it happen fast enough to make to preserve quality of life for billions of people? We'll see. So in the end, pray for death. Uh, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that you're going to die, Jordan. I don't want to shock you. <laughs> don't, please don't share any <laughs> of that no with me. There's no hurry. There's no hurry. And, you know, they say, my dad always said, don't miss weddings or funerals. But you probably miss your own funeral, probably. <laughs> I hope not. I'm, I, I like to show up for everything. I, there I don't, are people I don't miss that make out. extraordinary claims that you don't miss your own funeral, but I'm not counting on it. But I, I digress only a little bit. Young people are going to make these changes. They're going to get it done. But will they get it done quickly? That's the question. You know, if you're in Bangladesh and you have to, you're displaced and then there's a drought in Africa and then it's just, you know, the U.S. military has written extensively about the problems associated with displaced populations as the climate changes, changes faster than we're used to. For people who are listening at home or who are watching on YouTube or when this thing gets dictated and put down into a novel and are reading it in their novel. Mm-hmm. Wow, people have trouble sleeping. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's our target <laughs> demo right now. Uh, what, what, is, what, is, what is the thing they can do? If they're listening to this, they're, they're angry, they're frustrated, they want change. They can vote. Vote and support candidates that are going to do something about climate change. Science rules. Science rules. What are you talking about with science rules? Everything that has to do with science, which is everything. So we have, uh, we've got a few in the can. That's, that's uh, podcast talk. <laughs> uh, we have a neuroscientist talking about the nature of consciousness. We have a nuclear weapons expert talking about where we sh- what we should do with nuclear material and is it vulnerable to, are we ready for the dirty bomb? No. Uh, we have uh, genetically modified foods, a guy from Monsanto. Ah, oh, God. Ah. oh, God. And then why people live to be over 100. We have that guy on. Wait, there's a guy? Yeah, he knows? Well, he's, the, he's the guy, yeah. Near uh, Barzali. He's Barzali. He's a cool guy. And he studies people who live to be extraordinarily old. And what has he found? Fasting seems to be the trick. And the word fasting, not extreme fasting, just skipping a meal, like 16 hours without eating. That's it? Well, and being happy. Oh, well. <laughs> but I'll th- I thought it was easy. Yeah, well, not for you, no. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, you're just a miserable, jaded Bill, man. let's not get into this now, for well, God's sake. I feel it, you can, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm exuding way. it right now. <laughs> no, I, I, haven't, I haven't eaten in 16 hours. Both of us. Well, that's going to be, you're going to extend your life. <laughs> but it's making me so unhappy. <laughs> it's out now. Yes, subscribe. on Stitcher Midroll. Turn it up loud. Turn it up <laughs> Is there a problem with the audio mix? No, it's excellent. If you're home, we want people to hear it next door and outside. If you're in your car, we want everybody at that stoplight to listen to Science Rules. Thank you, George. (laughs) Thank you, Bill. Science Rules, out now. Subscribe.
This has been me, Jordan Klepper, on my podcast, Klepper. Watch my show, Klepper, on Comedy Central and on the Comedy Central app. Follow my Klepper accounts on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram for more exclusive Klepper content. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.